Hello, everyone, and welcome to the PyTorch Developer Podcast. Today, I want to talk about extension points to PyTorch 2. A lot of the work we're doing in PyTorch 2 involves adding new features, which sometimes have implications all over the stack. Um, PyTorch 2 stack has a lot of different uh, layers, and so sometimes planning out a change like this can be quite daunting because it's like, well, to add this feature, I need to understand Dynamo, and I need to understand AOT Autograd, and I need to understand Inductor. Most people who work on PyTorch 2 full-time only really work on one layer of the stack at a time. So asking someone to know about all of these things just so that they can add a new feature, that's a bit of a lift. Fortunately, there are a number of pre-existing extension points in PyTorch 2 which you can use to implement functionality that otherwise you know, doesn't exist right now. And further than more than that, uh, even uh, we have some you know, things that conceptually make sense but are just not implemented yet. But you know, they could be implemented if someone wanted to go out and do them. So in today's podcast, I want to walk us through some of the extension points in the PyTorch 2 stack and tell you about you know, how uh, how these work and how come they're consistent with the overall architecture of PyTorch 2. Because one of the main themes about these extension points is the easy to implement extensions involve only a change to one part of our stack without changing any of the global invariants throughout our stack. And we have some limited cases where we have a way to customize the behavior of something all the way through, but you know that tends to be a lot more work because you have to tell every subsystem how to deal with something in that question. So to get started, let's um, first quickly look at the topmost layer of the stack, namely Dynamo. Dynamo is all about understanding any given piece of Python code, what exactly is it doing, capturing it into a form that is an FX graph that is well-behaved enough that we can run AOT Autograd on it to trace out an actual set of uh, functions um, in the end. So if we are thinking about uh, what exactly um, you know, we can do in the Dynamo front end that isn't too difficult to do, one of the most um, easy and easy to understand extensions is just adding support for other function calls. So you know, what is Dynamo's job in life? Dynamo's job is to look at bytecode, figure out what it's doing, and then put a appropriate function call into the graph so that um, AOT Autograd handles it. So you can change whether or not something is put into the graph simply by marking something as allow in graph. Now there are restrictions. When you mark something as allowed in graph, the function you place in the graph has to quote unquote work with AOT Autograd because what you are saying is that this function is well behaved enough so that AOT Autograd can trace through it. And so what that means is that you know it has to support a fake implementation where you can run it with fake tensors without actually having to have real data. It needs to not have side effects as long, uh, or it can only have side effects in limited situations where it is only allowed to you know, mutate tensors. And if it mutates a tensor, it needs to be able to tell AOT Autograd that it's doing it um, in this way. Um, additionally, the function needs to only support uh, uh, operate on basic types that are supported by FX. Um, normally, these are the set of types that are supported by torch script. So that's tensor, list of tensors, int, you know, basic primitive types. If you've got a custom data type and you want that custom data type to be preserved inside of the FX graph that Dynamo is producing, that is much more of a lift. But just putting another function and asking it for be directly to be directly traced through, that's something that you can do quite easily inside Dynamo itself.
A step up from just putting in a you know function for regular tracing is the so-called higher order operators mechanism. Um, we call them higher order operators because typically um, the reason they exist is because they are operators that take in not just regular arguments, but also arbitrary callables, which themselves tend to um, contain more graph operations. So typically, um, a higher order operation with one of these callables will call that callable maybe never or once or twice or whatever. So a canonical example of a higher order operator is the cond operator, which takes in two callables for the you know, true side and the false side, and you know, at runtime only executes one of them. Um, these callable, these higher order operators can be pretty restrictive. They are typically not allowed to have side effects. They are typically, the bodies of these functions are typically not allowed to interact with the Python state in any non-trivial way. And when you implement a new higher order operator, um, you know, one of the things is that uh, most of our basic infrastructure doesn't work on them. So you have to say exactly, for example, how you want all of the AOT autograd passes to work on them. But this is also a sort of well-known extension point. And when people want to add you know, new operations that are a bit more complicated, usually you use the higher order operator mechanism. So you can extend Dynamo by modifying what it is willing to output to give AOT autograd. You can also extend Dynamo by um, making changes to how Dynamo processes Python code that is operating over. For example, um, when you have some code in Dynamo that um, is calling some API, let's say I have a NumPy call, I can have Dynamo transparently translate this API call into an equivalent torch function call. And this is the mechanism by which we implemented our NumPy interoperability layer. So if you have some code that uh, does some operations on NumPy ND arrays, we actually support transparently compiling this into PyTorch operations. And you can often take a standard NumPy program and automatically get it running on CUDA without any modifications. This is a very you know, local change because all that's going on is Dynamo is producing a new set of Torch operations where previously it would have just graph breaked on the NumPy operations. So this change only requires you to know about how to deal with Dynamo. Similarly, um, if you have some sort of custom user library code or you know another C extension that you need to interoperate with, um, one of the things that you know you could do um, is you could add support for it in Dynamo simply by teaching Dynamo what the semantics of these operations are. We actually don't have a public API extension mechanism for doing this right now because uh, we just haven't implemented it yet. But um, you know, in principle, uh, Dynamo is unable to handle anything that goes into C extensions, or it often also can't handle Python code that is too complicated that uses too many features. But you can always teach Dynamo internally uh, to have a special case for this sort of situation and handle it um, in some direct way. Um, we actually have had some discussions about what a good API for this might look like. One really promising idea is the concept of polyfills. A polyfill from JavaScript is when you have a implementation of some feature that normally is natively provided by your runtime in plain um, Python, uh, in this case, JavaScript in the case of the web. So a polyfill um, would make sense in Dynamo because if you've got some code which doesn't work 
uh, with Dynamo because it's implemented in C. If you write an equivalent implementation of it in Python, then Dynamo can just transparently trace into the Python implementation and understand what your program is doing. So this is a really promising way for letting people who own C libraries and want to interoperate with Dynamo to let things work. And finally, um, one really interesting uh, possibility that Michael So has been investigating is the possibility for allowing Dino to trace non-standard tensor types into the graph entirely. And so this is a good segue into the AOT Autograd segment of this uh, podcast episode because um, to do this, we uh, the e Dynamo is actually the easy part, right? So to handle an arbitrary class, um, in our particular case, uh, we wanted to reuse the mechanism from TorchScript called TorchBind, which lets you take arbitrary C++ classes and make them available in TorchScript programs. And all you need to do in Dynamo is just say, okay, well, if I see some operations on one of these TorchScript classes, one of these TorchBind classes, all I need to do is just go ahead and write these operations to the graph. So this is actually the easy part as far as Dynamo is concerned. You just need a way of, once again, dry running these operations without having real data. The real problem is once you have these operations in the graph, what exactly is AOT Autograd going to do with them? So what is exactly AOT Autograd going to do with things? So remember, AOT Autograd is the part of our stack which is responsible for taking the output Python graph that was produced by Dynamo and then actually using all of the semantics, all the layers of PyTorch, including Autograd, including functionalization, all of these things to trace out a low-level A10 representation, which is suitable for handing to the backend compiler. So this is the part that actually knows all the smarts about how all of the various subsystems in traditional eager PyTorch work. And um, this is, for example, the place where when you add a new higher order op, you now have to specify how this higher order op should interact, or interact with each of the various things like tracing or functionalization or fake tensors because that's what AOT Autograd is going to use. So if we talk about something like TorchBind, then you know if you do add uh, the support for TorchBind, which this one's not complete, um, you have these weird objects which aren't actual tensor operations. And so if you wanted AOT Autograd to work with them, you'd also have to teach AOT Autograd how to either partition them away, which is a very valid thing to do, right? Like before you go from Dynamo to AOT Autograd, you could partition your graph up into multiple pieces and only feed in AOT Autograd, the pieces that AOT Autograd actually understands. In fact, this is what we do for uh, DDP Optimize. Um, DDP Optimize is an option you can use when you are running PyTorch 2 with uh, distributed data parallel. And what it does is it manually chunks up our graph so that you get pipelining with DDP where you know every chunk starts sending the gradients to the nodes before you finish running everything else. So you're not waiting for all the communications at the very end. Um, and that's done by splitting up the graph before we pass it to AOT Autograd. So you can conceivably get rid of things AOT Autograd can understand by partitioning them into their own subgraphs before AOT Autograd handles them. You can also make AOT Autograd handle things directly, and with higher order ops, um, you can just specify how exactly you know the various layers should happen. Or for example, um, Brian Hirsch recently added support for tensor subclasses. So in fact, tensor subclasses are a really nice extension point in PyTorch 2. And the reason they're so nice is because, um, you know, well, tensor subclasses act like normal tensors, so they typically don't need that many changes on the Dynamo side. 
That's not entirely true. For example, we use dtensor with tensor subclasses, and that has some extra API on top. And sometimes Dynamo needs to be taught how to understand that API and transfer it into the graph. But once you get to AOT Autograd, um, the real question is basically how to go ahead and de-sugar this tensor subclass into a simplified program that doesn't have any tensor operations in it. So tensor subclasses maybe require some Dynamo work, um, have some support for it in AOT Autograd, but it evaporates by the time you get to the backend compiler. So you don't actually need to you know, work on inductor if you do something like this. And of course, AOT Autograd has a bunch of other knobs which you can use. For example, we have decompositions, which are the entire way we you know, break down operations into simpler forms for uh, the compiler. And you can do pre-Autograd decompositions. You can also do post-Autograd decompositions. Um, these are all valid things to do, and you can customize them. You can obviously implement custom operators, which are just you know just like regular operators that PyTorch has natively. But you know if you go ahead and use this API and implement what all the various operations on them should be, um, you can actually just preserve them all the way to Inductor, and Inductor will just call you when you actually run run the operation. And finally, once you get to Inductor, there's a few more things you can do. So for example, at an Inductor level, you can introduce the concept of a new IR node, which lets you control how exactly code generation works when you go ahead and do an oper uh, when you actually go ahead and generate the Python code or the C++ code that's going to represent the operation. Um, this is, uh, you know, usually you don't need to because just being able to call some external function is usually good enough and we have built-in support for that. But you know, it's something you can do and people have added a lot of IR nodes to Inductor for better or for worse. Um, there's also the ability to take a custom Trident code and send it all the way to Inductor. Um, this is some work by Ogas. Um, it's pretty nice um, because it's often people are writing these Trident kernels for you know the very most important pieces of their model, and it's nice to have that interoperate with PyTorch 2. And um, Inductor also has some facilities for doing code generation. So for example, um, let's say that you uh, are doing matrix multiplies. We have the ability to generate epilogues and fuse them in. And so this is a the, the, this capacity basically says, hey, Inductor knows how to generate simple code for pointwise operations. So if you've got some complicated CUDA kernel, uh, and you want to, but you have a spot where you just want to paste in some arbitrary extra code that the user provided. That's something you want to do. Um, we also have uh, some examples of people wanting to go ahead and add first class concepts to the inductor uh, IR. Um, for example, uh, when we were working on nested tensor, this is something that you know you do need to generate different kernels that are pretty different from normal pointwise kernels when you want to do this generation. Um, this is probably the hardest thing to do because obviously to get this concept all the way down to inductor, you had to have you know made Dynamo and AOT Autograd play ball. So definitely a choice of last resort. So we've talked about a bunch of extension points which the PyTorch 2 stack provide. Some of them have public APIs for, and you can use them directly. Some of them are just you know, ideas that are you know, architecturally consistent with how PyTorch 2 works, but just haven't been implemented yet. So someone has to you know, you know, roll their sleeves up and handle things. So that's it for our whirlwind tour of all the things you can extend PyTorch 2 with. Hopefully in some later podcast episodes, we can dig into some of these things in more detail. Thanks for listening.